You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, company culture coach and founder of Liberty Mind. And I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations, thought leaders, and people about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. This season is sponsored by the Breathe Culture Pledge, a community of like-minded SMEs who are committed to building and maintaining a people-first culture. Whether you've got your company culture nailed or need a little guidance to improve it, joining the Breathe Culture Pledge gives you the recognition and resources you need to help your culture flourish. Plus, it's 100% free. Join over 700 SMEs and invest in your people today. Head over to breathehr.com forward slash culture pledge to find out more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the Change Maker Sessions. Today, I'm joined by somebody who may already be a familiar face, especially if you've read a very popular Be More Pirate book. Yes, today I am joined by Alex Barker, who is an author, facilitator, speaker, and coach who runs Be More Pirate, a book turned social movement and consultancy that helps people and organizations to rewrite their rules. Alex works across the private and public sector, supporting them with innovation, strategy, and culture change. In 2020, she wrote How to Be More Pirate, which captures the story of the movement and offers practical ideas for how to apply the pirate principles. As an avid supporter of the Be More Pirate movement, I knew Alex would be an ideal guest for our Changemaker sessions and be able to share some practical ways in which we can all start being a tiny bit rebellious. So let's get started. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast for the Changemaker sessions. Hi, thank you for having me. So I am very excited to have you on the podcast because I read um, Be More Pirate. I think I read that in um, 2020. I got recommended it by a fellow um, pirate, should I say now? Um, And then obviously How to Be More Pirate came along as well. So from I'm sure many people will know you from those books but what I would love to know because reading them putting it into practice and this is this podcast is all about trying to get make these things practical mm-hmm. um what is some of the best things you've seen so far how people have taken those lessons that you've shared in in the pirate movement and kind of have made changes with there are so I mean there are so many stories in the book um that I that I really love um oh <laughs> just trying to pick one um I think my the story I'm probably most attached to is the story of of Crin um the Charles Wright's international network which sounds not very pirate when you say it like that but they were one of the really early adopters um and because I've worked in the charity sector before be more pirate it just hit hit a nerve for me around the kind of changes that needed to be made. And, and the question that she initially posed to me and to us was mm. asking maybe the ultimate difficult question for an organisation, which is, should we really exist? And she said, you know, 
I think as charities, most of the time we're funding ourselves into existence. We're not changing anything at all. We're at best putting plasters over problems. And um, I think her sto- the story of what Crin did encompasses so many of the aspects of Be More Pirate. It's a kind of full story journey because they ask that primary question that Sam asks in their first book, which is, what am I willing to stand up and fight for? And then they go on this whole journey. They create one of the most sophisticated pirate codes I've ever seen, really, really genuinely replacing policy, like complicated bureaucratic policies or, um, you know, kind of vanity organisational values with a genuine code of of principles that they were going to hold themselves to. They'd understood how practically that would translate into their day-to-day behaviours. And that led them to kind of reinventing the organisation. They ended up working on much more radical campaigns, bolder ideas as a result of of really becoming clear about the values. And then their funders and their donors backed them more because they stood out. And so it's a story of like risk reaps rewards. And so, you know, you know, when you're working with organisations, so many of them just don't want to take that initial first step to be that little bit bolder. And part of the reason is it's that that values piece, that building of the pirate code isn't done in a democratic Mm. consensus built way with the whole team, with the whole team buying fully in. Because I think if you're going to take risks, you've got to get your team fully, fully in on it. Um, So I love I just love their story. And, you know, they've gone on, you know, that changed the organization like that pirate, the pirate code changed it. So that feels to me like a, a, a big piece of impact. But there are loads, there are loads of different ideas. I mean, I love, and I suppose another one I love is um, uh, a marine biologist, Franziska, who was based in the Caribbean. And she just did what I would consider to be a, a small, bold action of emailing, after reading Be More Pirate, emailing her whole 5,000 email list of scientists saying, if we all fly to, to our four-year conference aren't we just bullshitters, basically? Aren't we just talking about uh, making huge sacrifices and changes to do with the climate, but we're all still wanting to fly to the fancy conference? Shouldn't we be putting our money where our mouth is? And that, as a result of just that one email, it exploded into her running localised events for the conference, like completely redistributing the power to, especially to, to countries where they couldn't have flown to the event anyway. And she really just embodied the whole of the pirate principles, the networking, the small, bold action, um, you know, standing up for your values, which was, she's like, we have, you know, the, the, the climate issue for her had hit home that year. So, yeah, there's just so many fantastic like, things that people have done. <laughs> and, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love reading stories like that because it is those bold actions and and questioning the why of we're doing something. And I love that you brought up about that, you know, the idea of that very democratic way of trying to get things going because we are still in a very outdated um, authoritarian um, workplace environment in most of our com- organizations and I certainly still see it a lot with people that you know you have one person from the top who's really just trying to dictate values rather than getting people on on board with them and I say time and time again well that's not really how you know it works and and it's really hard to get this change this change going and we are really slow at it here in the UK like I hate to disregard us as, as a country um but a lot of the the work that we're, we're kind of seeing coming through 
it really we are taking so much slowness to it I mean what do you think is the resistance that's there for that stops businesses doing something that goes out of this status quo how can we kind of shake them up there's so there's a few different key points that stop them from being outside the status quo I think one of them is just a pure biological thing that we all have which is we are wired for belonging so we do not want to break rank from the group um, if the group says this is how we are like as an individual um, however you identify your group you just don't like it, your brain literally senses threat and, and and danger of survival and so that is very deep wired into us there's not much you can do other than I think to bring awareness to what that what's going on there and recognizing that that fear isn't necessarily related to the current actual situation so when I do when we do a bit of work on risk I'll ask people to go okay well can you at least map out for me what you think the wor- absolute worst consequences of doing this? Like, realistically, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? And what do you think the best thing that could happen? And what do you think is the likelihood, like the l- likely outcomes in the middle? And, and usually they go, okay, yeah, get it. I'm not going to be fired pro- probably for doing this. Um, so that's one thing. The second is um, we, the way that we, again, social conditioning. Um, but on a slightly different level, um, that isn't to do with the group, it's to do is internal, is our sense of what is normal and what is right, because that has been drilled into you for a really, really long time. For example, it's very hard to let go of the quite physical uh, feeling that productivity is a good thing at all costs, right? I think everyone knows that. And what, rewiring yourself to understand, I see a lot of, I see quite a few people doing this now saying, rest is productive. But if you're not used to that and you've been told go, go, go um, by your, I mean, I still see it. You, you see the the gap, like some job applications when I'm, I often look through job applications, quite interested in how they structure them and, and the, the story. And they'll say, you know, must, must be willing to work in a fast paced environment, which basically means I just need you to work as hard and as much as possible. Um, and if you don't, you probably won't fit into our, into our culture. So but but I noticed since becoming self-employed that just because I was in control of my schedule and could, could structure rest and all of that, the guilt and the fear was ingrained. And I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go easy. I had to do proper work on breaking that and disrupting it. Um, so, like I said, the inner rebellion is the hardest. Um, it's internalized comfortability even if those rules or practices you're doing don't really serve you in the long run they at least feel normal and they feel comfortable so there's that resistance and that you know you have to create different habits that move in the opposite direction and I think the final one I would say is um, distraction I think that's very specific to our time and place the fact that we live in a very complex communication heavy era so it's so easy to become distracted from any ambitions you might have to make change um your days are likely to be flooded with other people's agendas and with um multiple ways to procrastinate so <laughs> yeah it's hard to keep on track for all those reasons and I think those are you know that's something I talk to my parents a lot about that's their their challenges they didn't necessarily have to face in the same way mm. oh absolutely I love that you've hit on that internal battle that we have around our working and productivity because 
I literally had exactly the same thing. It's so it's so amazing to hear someone else say it and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so relatable. Because I, for ages, when I was self-employed, um, when I first started Liberty Mind, I had this really outdated belief of that hustle culture where you think, I, in order for me to be successful, I have to work as many hours as possible every single day and I have to give blood, sweat and tears to it. And it wasn't until um, I really started changing and, and personally working with a coach as well on sort of my life and my mm. business. Um, and I was like, oh, what? Hang on, why am I working this way? I'm no longer working in a fast-paced agency. Like, I, I, I manage my own time. And I remember being in meditation one day and it just landed with me that I felt guilty if I ever got up slightly later than like six o'clock in the morning. If I got up slightly later, I had this internal guilt and this feeling that I was already behind on my day and it was mm-hmm. so strange and and luckily I had someone I could talk through this shift and I've, I've obviously changed the way I work but that's something that I did not expect to have sort of in conditioned mm-hmm. in me and it has been a huge unlearning and that's what I think is sometimes there, isn't it? Is that we've got we've had this conditioning from such a young age as well. You know, it happens when we go through education. And it's like almost you're having to unlearn so much that you're conditioned with through your career. So I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I, and oh my god, I want to talk about this. <laughs> I, I feel like I had such a uh a kind of epiphany moment when I read this article about burnout that explained to me um, a what it was, which it, which were the definition they gave was um, when you all of your internal resources are depleted, but you feel a nervous compulsion to continue regardless. I was like, oh, I relate to that. <laughs> and then, because that made me feel like okay, it's almost like in your body. Like I felt more anxious when I wasn't working than when I was in leisure time. Um, sorry, when I was when I was working so even if I even if I was working and burning out like I'd still feel better in myself because at least I felt I was being of value in some way and that was such a ingrained narrative about um the that I have to keep almost entering these new levels of um and it just to do with schooling you know I went to a competitive school and it was always like you you had so many extracurricular activities and it was like unlock the next level and um and then I in this article it ex- explained sort of the millennial this situation where you know it said you've been trying to you've been trained to optimize yourself um within the system and the system is now unwinnable because it's becoming so unequal so but you don't know how literally don't know how to break it out of that because all of your training has taught you that you just have to keep going and eventually you'll win it and it, it really struck me that I'd never received any kind of conditioning or training about how to challenge or change anything because that just wasn't wasn't the the narrative it wasn't the story you know I love my parents they're absolutely wonderful people they're very but they they also grew up in that very um uh I wouldn't, I wouldn't say competitive but the the narrative that if you work harder and more you will become more successful and more happy and that feels to me that it's falling apart now mm. so um and the, and the interesting thing in, in terms of what you said, which I, I notice is it's not enough to know it intellectually. Like you can read as many articles as you want and many books and all the books that come out every year, all the business books about, you know, rest is productive. We know that deep flow work is better for us. 
but <laughs> you literally have to unravel the conditioning that lives within you I think and that is a disruptive practice sort of uh, type of work that is completely different to just reading a book or reading an article yeah oh yeah it definitely is I mean I I'm so grateful I think that's the beauty of having someone externally from your life be able to coach you through these situations because you can you can put into those habits and practices to help you change your behaviors but yeah being aware of you know being aware of it isn't enough you need to kind of seek those resources to go how do I change this because this is not a sustainable lifestyle (laughs) yeah completely and you're right um having a coach is I think essential I didn't realize how valuable coaching was until I invested in one (laughs) oh honestly I think everyone needs one I'm like they're amazing (laughs) yeah if I could honestly if I could change one thing about the world of work it would to to retrain all managers as coaches or not necessarily to train anyone who's in a management position but to simply um ensure that like management was replaced with coaching oh my gosh yeah absolutely I mean there's just so there's so many things that have happened over the past year where I think we're all kind of having to unlearn a lot of those habits and you know like you said about that conditioning of of people thinking about changing the way they're working and and not wanting to kind of take those risks and we've seen such huge changes and it's one of those things where I think you know we are kind of having to relearn how we want to work like we've never had it before where we've you know kind of hit the pause button for two years and we've finally had that chance to sit back and go well how do I want to work I know so many people that have either changed jobs or started their own business because they've had Mm -hmm. that time to to really reflect on life and the way they're working Mm -hmm. or they've gone back into work and said yes I'm coming back but actually I want x amount of days at home and I'll only come into the office in these times I mean what are some of the biggest lessons that you feel have been kind of learned over the past two years I mean unfortunately some of them might not fruition with currently today in the news unfortunately there's the whole like civil servants back to the office but I mean what what are your thoughts on it well actually I was going to say is I don't think we have learned that many lessons Mm. I've got to be honest with you um I'd love to say you know I think the world is I think the world is different and certainly a lot more people have given themselves a level of permission that they haven't more employers have recognized the blending of, of life and of personal life and work life in a different way. So I think things like working remotely, flexible working will change have, will have changed irrevocably and we, we won't go back any to that, generally speaking. But I don't think we've really learned the lessons, which is your question, which is, why is this good for us? Why is this good for the workforce? I think people have put demands on the table and said, I can do my job, but I don't know if there's been a wholesale appreciation of what we're doing here at all. I've no, I've seen very few real understanding of that um, because, again, I think they're still hemmed into the fundamentally, uh, the operating model of business that is drive growth, drive profit, still dominates. And so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure we have learned lessons. I don't think we've even learned the lessons of things like mutual aid and what that does. You know, that did a whole spate of interesting stuff in terms of count you know council should be learning from 
the way that citizens responded to that and incorporating it into their practices and going oh we put a lot of red tape around some things around volunteering and and actually people step up in the moment and they step up when they've got agency and and um a given responsibility i mean there's there's research on this you know if you give people responsibility they behave responsibly not everyone and but you can't let the exception make the rule it's got to be the other way around so yeah i think sadly i don't know if we have learned many lessons i think obviously certain people have and like certain organizations have and it's brilliant to see so many people starting their own businesses and feeling freedom um and feeling that i think okay one thing that is positive i'd say is we have a definitely got a better conversation about mental health Mm. now i feel that people are talking more openly recognizing it because it's just too on the front line (laughs) i think you can't you can't hide it away in the same way and when a whole nation has essentially suffered under some level of um, pressure or disruption, yeah, it can't be ignored that that has repercussions. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really been at the forefront over the past two years, and it's interesting because I must agree with you. I think that's about the only thing that's really, really come out of it as a, that I've seen a lot of companies change around things around mental health is probably the biggest change I've seen in terms of the well-being initiatives that have come out but like you say there's not enough questions about the why like to what end like we're growing but to what end it's kind of there's no real um yeah thinking about it and it was interesting I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they said do you know what I think businesses need to actually be focused more on their ethics And they need to start having bit, there needs to be something around that because it's all well and good having an awareness. So we've all got now got much more of an awareness of of how work could be. Um, But we're not there where we're challenging it yet. We're aware of what's possible, but we're kind of like, oh, let's just stay quiet and see what happens. And it's it's like, oh, where's this kind of movement going to come from is what fascinates me because there's so many like micro movements going on in the UK so you know you guys the the pirate movement has got a you know a, a, a momentum to it there's you know the four-day work week that's got a like micro momentum to it so there's all these kind of like pockets of of momentum but it's like we need we need more we need more people to join these movements yeah and it's funny isn't it because I, I often have these conversations with friends or people in, involved in those kinds of movements around like reinventing work and and the tension is always like is this taking off is it taking off like we feel like we're and I'm like we're well, just in a bubble because it's true like you know it's great to see like 2,000 or so um, companies deciding to do self-management or um, thinking about their ethics but then you know you think about the number of companies there are and the, the ones that dominate yes Mark Zuckerberg still holds 60% of the shares on the board, you know, and can therefore can essentially dominate board decisions. I mean, that's a concentration of power in one of the world's most powerful, richest companies. So I don't think any, you know, they can wax lyrical about community and connection all they want, but that is top heavy. So I, (laughs) I think, oh, I don't know. Is it changing? It is changing and it isn't at the same time. Um, And yeah, it would be good to, to join all these these ideas up but i i would say to, to make that happen if i was going to do one thing in an organization for ev- mandatory for every organization it would be intelligence 
intelligent disobedience training or what we call professional rule breaking. Um, although I, I steal the intelligent disobedience ideas because the problem, the reason why you can't even get to the first stage of changing something is because nobody has the levels of confidence and understanding behind why challenge is a good thing. Mm. It's a good thing for organization. The military knows this. Like if you look at any, like if you look at military training um, and exercises they do in the, particularly in the US, they know that in order to, to keep the you know, platoon safe, they have to, everyone has to be hyper vigilant and the ability to make difficult calls that break from the group rank, depending on the situation, because it is so, the level of change they're experiencing on a battlefield will be so rapid and so volatile. Um, and I think that, you know, in the business landscape, there's the illusion of stability all the time. So you think, well, why would I make a move? Um, but then everything can change at once. So yeah, I'd, I'd give people the tools and the skills and the knowledge behind how you challenge constructively and not in a way that creates defensiveness amongst leadership, but in a way that creates connection mm. and understanding. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if you equipped people with that? <laughs> That would be amazing. Those are my long-term goals. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> long-term goals. <laughs> Create more rebellions. I love it. <laughs> Why not? I mean, you call them rebellions. I call them constructive <laughs> challenge. <laughs> oh, no, I definitely agree. I think that's... Because I speak to a lot of people, obviously, I'm sure you probably get the same as well, with within working in the areas that we do in kind of organizational change um, you always get friends going how do I do this so my boss is doing this and they always like come to me with like agony on advice about how awful work is and they'll give me a scenario and be like what would you do <laughs> and it's really hard because they do feel so disempowered and it's really painful mm -hmm. you know when you, you say to people well have you thought about this or have not like, oh well I can't do that because you know and you know I remember one of them saying that their CEO sent this awful email I was like well, well did you challenge this I said because you're in your in your right to challenge this email because it was really um quite ableist and sexist and I was like you're in within your rights to to challenge this email um oh no I don't want to be that because I, I don't want to be the one that gets labeled as, <laughs> as the one that makes the noise and I'm like oh but how many other people are sat there thinking the same thing right exactly um I do get those scenarios all the time and I do think it is real that people get ostracized when they challenge, you know, even if they can't really, you know, the, the leadership can't do anything drastic, they'll find some, somehow they'll get shut down in some way. And I do think that's real. Um, so what I'd, I always say is there's one of two options. You find, you activate those people who are probably sitting there thinking the same thing because they 100% are if it's completely nonsensical and a previous organ an organization I where a friend works at the moment are doing that and it's gotten so big they're, they're unionizing over some of the stuff so find your crew and take them outside the office to talk about it you know pub cafe whatever um, find a way to vent your frustrations and then figure out what you're going to do together and back each other mm. and but then you you know that's when you get into the code building and like how are you going to back each other and are you really in are we really going to do this or do something the other option would be for them to temporarily ignore that one situation and find their power elsewhere because you can't make a change from a point of already feeling disempowered mm. i think on an energy level that is likely to, to fail because also if you're coming at it from a point of 
all the anger and the frustration that you have, um, you have to first, I think, turn that into something more, more like fuel. Um, if you, you know, the, this is common. If you just stick your hand up in the meeting when the thing is announced and it looks really bad, and you go, "I don't agree with this," and all, all the feeling, the bad feeling that you have, comes out with what you're saying. Mm. And you know, human to human, the lead, the person will feel that. They will feel that you are hostile. And as you know, primarily animals, we we respond badly to that basic stuff. So. Find, I would say, go right. I'm going to do something about this. Don't, don't let that moment pass you. But this is what most people do. They go, oh, I'll just, you know, it's too much. I can't do anything. Try and find um, a degree of power elsewhere because you will also have more ability to influence that situation if you've done something valuable elsewhere. You can start to bargain for it. Mm. So, um, and that's why I think the pirate rebellion is. I try and say it's, it is more creative. Like. Your goal is less to slam the doors, I'd say, but is more to create new precedents for things that you think will work better. Mm-hmm. So rather than just shouting it down or throwing stones at the system, as I'd say, um, what is the new system? If you can't answer that question or the new rule, the new norm, think think again. Yeah, build something better. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Oh, that is some something better yeah. um it's like what you know we're going back to the well-being point i've seen quite a few linkedin posts recently about you know don't just offer us yoga class i mean i've literally been through this by the way as well don't just offer us yoga classes fruit fruit in the kitchen as like the results of our well-being survey how, let's have a, an open conversation about how recruitment is conducted like why do people you know can we have some more transparency around pay scales um can you help me um develop my career path like those are the things that really matter to people that really affect your mental well-being because they keep you awake at night not I mean maybe can I get some exercise in this week but I think it's it's lower down the rung so um it's almost saying can you offer the leadership an alternative that will set a new precedent that you can make a case that will it will work better that will benefit and you know ultimately their their goals are the productivity and the efficiency and the ultimate probably profit of the organization so if you can show that that would support that yeah yeah which i know doesn't sound necessarily so pirate but i'm keen to not have pirates burning out yes (laughs) absolutely no that is so many practical bits there alex i feel like there's so much to take from that as well it's amazing so i'm really really grateful for you sharing all of those tips I mean, when you think about everything that's been kind of put out there recently, like we've kind of touched on a few things, um, you know, in terms of what people are now bringing into the workplace, what do you think is one thing that is going to be changed or gone completely over the next sort of five years? If you were to make a prediction, is there anything that you're like, right, this I feel is going to go or definitely have changed? so um i've just been reading the book uncharted by margaret heffernan in which she um basically says don't make predictions <laughs> so, she's like predictions are uh, kind of like a, cap- a capitalist game um game most of the time so what um, do you hope will be changed yeah I, mean, I, I think yeah if i was to predict it would be i think like i said we won't go back to any kind of um 
location-based work full-time. I think almost all companies that are worth working for will, unless, you know, what you're doing depends on you being there, knowledge work, let's say, won't go back to that. You'll be able to do your job from anywhere, um, 100%. Um, the degree to which that affects team culture is is an issue, but I think we'll, we'll work around that. Mm. Um, and, at, you know, at the very least, people will be able to take longer periods of time away and things like that so I think I do think that that will will be, be bedded mm. in um yeah there's too many advantages for the individual and I think everyone kind of wants to see that um so that would be my prediction that won't go away yeah. um yeah because also they you know they give up you give up more office space companies are seeing the financial benefits of that and all of that so yeah yeah that would be my <laughs> I think that's a, <laughs> a pretty solid one. It is. It's, yeah. it's interesting because obviously we've also got to consider like the rate of tech and how that's massively um, influencing our ability to be um, virtual. I mean, the mm. I remember in 2020 I did my first VR talk, um, and that was a whole. <laughs> weird and wonderful experience but that was just reminding me that the technology that is constantly advancing and we don't know where it could take us I mean you know some people hadn't even used zoom before 2020 and now we're looking at all of these crazy other amazing virtual environments where we can go and kind of pretend that we're meeting for coffee um it's just the rate I think that technology is advancing is also gonna be so much more flexible compared to what what we're even used to right now it's pretty standard at the moment but even that mm-hmm. could could open some pretty interesting ways of communication yes it could the technology conversation is like i think a whole big one i was i thought the other day you know it's interesting how in the industrial revolution the people operating machinery and the latest technology would have been like the lowest paid and now we're in this situation where the people in control of technology are essentially just a 1% yeah. who then thrust the technology on the rest of us and go, right, this is how you work now. Um, and yes, there are advantages to it for sure. But the fact that very few people understand it properly, understand the impact, have had no chance to debate it, um, even think about the consequences before you're suddenly, it's suddenly decided this is, this is your life mm. now. That, I mean, I suppose that has always happened to a degree, you know, whether it's cars, TV, radio, that's always been the way, but it doesn't feel that it's, like you said, working at quite the same pace. Yeah. Um, or it wasn't then as it is now. Now the pace is, is so huge. And that is likely to just hasten inequality because people will not be able to keep up. Yeah. Um, you know, you can see it in terms of older generations not understanding certain technologies um, and because they haven't been brought up with it they don't necessarily even see it as something they ought to have to learn and then they can't do certain jobs and then the younger generation I would say and this is quite a cynical point of view I suppose but one of the things that worries me the most is they're just becoming brands you know people see themselves as a brand and 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 a point of selling and when I'd like to move, we'd like, we probably ought to be moving far more towards, you know, uh, an evolution in consciousness. Yeah. A huge pull towards more capitalism. Mm. And that, and that, and the tech, I think what's really interesting in the work movement space is the tension between like the kind of 
make work more human and then the advancing technology and where they meet because you kind of have I feel like they meet at Harvard Business Review because you can see them going yeah we get it you know um, uh, more agency and like more psychological safety and at the same time go kind of like being in that elite bubble yeah it is because I think for those that there is a disparity between those that are working in it and it's like anything isn't it we all have um our world view of how things are and until we bring more people into that world view we have a very limited capacity of understanding other people and, and knowing what they are and I always refer back to um the Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg back in the day and everyone was kind of praising it for this really amazing feminist piece and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget reading in it there was a, a bit where she was saying like one of her wins at Google was that when she got pregnant she insisted on having pregnancy parking because she'd had to walk a certain distance to the office and I was like so you didn't think about that before you had any other people like she wasn't the first pregnant person at like Google (laughs) so it's like until it's like most people until it directly impacts you don't make that change because we're so kind of inward rather than going oh what's everyone else's experiences of this and and that Mm -hmm. happens so often in the workplace and yeah I mean that that's pretty much a day-to-day isn't it that the the biggest choices that happen are, that directly impact people they're not considered as part of it yep I think anyone who's ever who's got a disability will quickly tell you that um and yeah that's that is the kind of I suppose ethical case for diversity is that you are definitely shutting out other people's experiences of of how how yeah the workplace or what how they experience the world um, and that's why a co-productive, um, consensus-driven sort of decision-making process should be implemented, I think, and should be better. But at the very least, like the like advice I try to give when when we do workshops, and particularly when we talk about the edges of the map, which is my favourite bit, because people like that because it's you can it's clouded in innovation and uh, disruption, which are the sexy words. But ultimately, what I'm saying is. Go and have conversations with people who don't have your life experience. Like that is your first step because um, you'll learn something and, you know, there might be a a few steps before you decide to implement something, a change in policy or whatever as a result of that conversation. But think about it as an enriching of your, your horizon. Like the idea that you think you've got a, an understanding of how things are, like you say, we all have our worldviews. Um, you know, it's why people start campaigning for, you know, fundraising after they've they or someone they really care about has been affected by an illness and then they suddenly want everyone else to care and the thing is fundamentally we're not we don't do these things until we're impacted um but it would be far better if in a general decision making process in a workplace you had Mm. you invited in someone who'd had a terminal illness say and i use that example of diversity because it's not one that's usually touched Mm. upon um we tend to go to race and gender and things but there's so, I mean, imagine you've had a terminal illness. Think about what that person can tell you about courage and 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 what that could bring to a business perspective, like so much. Yeah. And yet, you know, diversity is still, unfortunately, a bit of a tick box. It's got, oh, disability. I mean, if you live with a disability, you have to overcome hurdles 
all the time. And not that you should necessarily be, you know, using your employees as like um, help us solve the problem, but uh, it's about the the richness and of of, of life experience. Mm. You know, yeah, it's all really valuable. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I love that idea of the map as well. That's a great analogy, Alex. So gorgeous. Oh, I can go into the map. <laughs> the map. You know, I've really got a lot to say. <laughs> Oh, well, you've given, honestly, I'm so grateful because you've you've provided so many practical things that I feel people can take away with them from today so that no matter where they're sat within their company, they can kind of go and do something. So I'm really grateful mm. for that. So I thought I'd do a bit of fun in this season and do a quick fire round if you're up for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when not at work, where will we find you? <laughs> That really that, that's like very triggering to like my probably still at work no I'm just kidding um no I'm better there I'm better these days um ideally I would have been sort of you know traveling like that's the thing that I love the most um but uh likely with friends or yoga oh yeah love that yeah. one or doing some of the map stuff you know exploring new places like, trying, to, trying to do practice what I preach <laughs> what's one business word you want gone from our dictionary our vocabulary you just want to scrap it you hate it what's the one word yeah I was thinking um I don't there there isn't one word it's always the context in which is given but I think I I'm gonna go for engagement how do we I just I think I just said I've said it too much in a previous life um it's lost all meaning (laughs) <laughs> it feels so sanitized now doesn't it it feels very sanitized that word yeah engagement yeah yeah, yeah. engagement what's our what's our engagement level how do we engage people more yeah I do, yeah I don't know it doesn't <laughs> bring up anything for me um one book or podcast recommendation I've got to say this can I say the of same book I just can. said but Uncharted Margaret Heffernan I am loving this book so much. It, I mean, it is slight confirmation bias because it, a lot of our ideas are very similar to our pirate philosophy, but there's great, really great stories and, and facts in there. Um, even just learn the whole history of the Sagrada Familia, which I didn't know, and that was really interesting. Um, lots of great examples of businesses and kind of insights into how companies have operated. And um, I just think it, yeah, it's a bit of a must read. Oh, okay. I'm adding that one to my wish list. Um, if there's one thing you could disrupt, what would it be? <laughs> Management consultancy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Say, saying yeah. nothing, I had someone outreach to me recently with that experience. So. I just fundamentally cannot tolerate companies that position themselves as a change organisation when they're a, they're a sales organisation. <laughs> you had it here first. <laughs> I've got a friend, Kieran, who we've talked endlessly about what we could, how we could try and do that. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, Alex, thank you so much for having this conversation with me and um, for sharing so much of your your knowledge with us as well from your experience. And yeah, I mean, is there anything we we should keep an eye out for in in the pirate, pirate realm? What's, what's upcoming? Is there anything we can navigate people to? Okay, I'm going to say something. It's one of those what Sam calls a future truth. <laughs> that you, once you say it, you have to do it. Um, I have just started creating um, what I'm probably going to call like 30 days 
to be more pirate, which is literally to do the thing that you and I've just talked about, which is that we have to decondition ourselves. So reading books, great. I'm really glad you've read our books, but it, it doesn't get you there. It doesn't get you to the deconditioning. Equally, nor does one, one-off workshops, which is usually what I do. You have to practice it daily, ideally. So we're going to do a really short course that will be yeah, like peanuts, that where it's like a, a five minutes or ten minutes every day, and some of the days will have action. Like some of those practical things I said today, like things you've got to do. Um, you've got to test yourself. Um, but every day it will be um, motivational things as well because I feel listening to everyone over the last few weeks, they we need to feel better. Like stuff's a bit rough. And um, so, yeah, d- daily dose of inspiration and some deconditioning, um, that is to come. So, uh, yeah. That's yeah, we've only just started with it, but <laughs> Ooh, I'm excited to see that. I cannot wait. Well, I'll make sure there was plenty links um, in the show notes. So for anybody that's interested in that, um, all of the details will be in the show notes. So make sure you go onto the Be More Pirate website and, and sign up and check that out because that is a great step forward. Um, and yeah, thank you so much, Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.